0: Please pray with me. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. If you're like me, you've spent the past few days doing some of the cleanup work of Christmas. This is especially true if you have children or grandchildren, nieces or nephews, friends and family members with whom you shared that special day. I found myself breaking down cardboard boxes, folding up wrapping paper to be recycled, gathering up decorative ribbon and bows, and generally trying to make my house look a little less crazy than it did Christmas morning. Our tree and our Christmas creche haven't come down yet, nor have the stockings on our mantle or the decorations scattered about the house. Those will stay up for another week or so. But in my place, we've we've busied ourselves. I've busied myself with some of the inconsequential work of Christmas. I've asked, and I've been asked several times this this past week by friends and strangers alike, this this question. uh, How was your Christmas? How was your Christmas? It's a fine question, and I usually respond that it was lovely, that it was beautiful, that it was wonderful to be with my children, with my wife, with my family, because it was all of that. But... But the underlying assumption with that question is this, that Christmas is over, that it's time to move on, that we should be preparing for the next celebration, the next event, uh, whatever it is that may fill our calendars. We say in the church that Christmas is a season, that it lasts until the Feast of the Epiphany on January 6th, and so it's okay for us to continue to say, Merry Christmas. You might get some strange looks as we say that outside of this place, but it is still okay to say Merry Christmas. We've heard the past few days, if you were here on Christmas Eve, you heard the the nativity story from Luke's gospel account, a story that, that most of us know by heart. It's filled with angels and shepherds and travel on donkey back and inns and a lowly manger, shining stars, and then even more angels come along. Next Sunday, we'll complete all of this story, when we hear about the, the visit from the wise sages from the Far East bringing their gifts to the Christ child, that, that story is in Matthew's gospel account. But, but today, today we're hearing from St. John, and John gives us a, a different view of Christmas, one that I think reminds us that Christmas is ongoing, that it is not over John's gospel account, as you all know, is is very different than the other three gospel accounts. To start with John, John was the last of the four gospel accounts to be written, some seven or eight or maybe even nine decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And while Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the so-called synoptic gospel accounts, while they were likely sharing some of the same manuscripts when they wrote their accounts down on paper, John, John didn't have those manuscripts. And so he speaks of Jesus in a slightly different way. Jesus and John's gospel is is mystical and the language that John uses at times to talk about Jesus is is otherworldly. John chapter 1 a, a portion of which we heard read this morning is is often called the prologue to the rest of John's gospel account and it's it's poetic and it's beautiful and it's mysterious all at the same time and it's maybe one of the most significant theological passages in the New Testament. And in this prologue John John sets his vision of the Christmas story in the context of creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John's opening is meant to take our minds back to the book of Genesis, which opens in a very similar way. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. John paints a, a picture for us of God's light shining in and through the darkness, and he tells us that, that Christ the Logos, that's the the Greek word for, for word, Christ the Logos with, was with God in, in the very beginning of creation, and that all things came into being through him. That language hopefully sounds familiar as we say something very similar to that each, each week when we recite the Nicene Creed. We say we believe in... One Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him, we say, all things were made. In the very beginning, the word, the the logos, Christ was with God. And it's not just in the beginning, but before there was even a beginning, Christ was with God. Stanley Hauerwas, the retired professor of Christian ethics at Duke Divinity School, says that Christ was with God before there was a was. That Christ was before there was a was is a grammatical remark, Hauerwas says, that suggests that Christ is not some subsequent thought God might have had. And unlike us, Hauerwas writes, there is no time when Christ was not. Unlike us, unlike you and me, who have only been around for just a little while. There is no time when Christ was not. Unlike us, Christ has always been. The reading from John's gospel reaches its climax, though, I think, in, in verse 14 of, of chapter one, when John writes, and the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. Unlike Matthew and Luke, John speaks of the birth of Jesus in a different way. There are no angels or stars or donkeys, but he he shares with us the true meaning of Christmas, and that is that God becomes one of us. God lives among us. God changes the whole course of human history by by taking on flesh and becoming man. It's as St. Athanasius, the 4th century bishop of Alexandria, once said, God is in Christ became what we are, so that we might become what he is. This is the message, the meaning, the the hope that we celebrate during Christmas, but but all throughout the year and hopefully all throughout our lives, God in Christ becomes one of us so that we might become more like God. God gives us the gift of God's very self. God gives us the gift of love, and it's, it's truly the greatest gift of all. Jesus may be the reason for the season, as some bumper stickers like to say, but it's God's gift of love that we really celebrate, and that love cannot be boxed up and stored away until next Christmas. That love is ongoing. It's unending, as St. Paul famously said in 1 Corinthians. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love, St. Paul says, never ends. What we celebrate during the Christmas season is more, is more than just an event. It's more than just the birthday of our Lord, although that is certainly an important part of the Christmas season. What we celebrate during the Christmas season is the, the almost incomprehensible belief that God wants to be in relationship with each and every one of us. And so God becomes one of us to allow that to happen. God's love for us is the real reason for the season. And if we choose to receive this gift of love, then in so doing, we allow our lives to be altered, to be transformed by that very gift. If we choose to receive this gift, and it's a it's a choice, no one can make you receive it, but if you choose to receive it, then it means that you, that we must take seriously not just the birth of Jesus, but the totality of the incarnation of God in Christ. And so I, I think perhaps the the greatest gift that we can give to ourselves, to to each other, back to God, is is to strive more closely to follow the life and the love of Christ and to be not about the inconsequential work of Christmas that I spoke of earlier, but but the work of Christmas that changes hearts and minds, the work of Christmas that changes life itself. The theologian and civil rights leader Howard Thurman wrote a, a great poem titled just that, The Work of Christmas. Uh, this This is a bit of that poem. He says, When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, to make music in the heart. The implications of the Incarnation, the implications of of Christmas, I think, are, are profound. They change how we see ourselves and how we see one another, the very way that we live our lives. And it means that Christmas cannot be limited to an event, but instead it means that Christmas is a way of being. The work of Christmas will take more than just 12 days. It demands our entire life. The third century rabbi, and I'll end with this, the third century rabbi Joshua bin Levy once said that before each person goes a procession of angels, and he says those angels as they go cry out, make way for the image of God. Make way for the image of God. The truth of Christmas is just that. The Word became flesh and lived among us, and in so doing, our lives, our very lives, can be more like God. God became one of us so that we might become more like God. Make way for the image of God and allow your life to be shaped by the unending gift of love. Amen.